Well, we announced last service that we're going to start an old man football team. Uh, after seeing that video, several men were ready to get up and play. And so uh, we want you to know it's a new world. Lady, if you, ladies, if you want to join us, you want to play with us, it's a, who am I kidding? My body couldn't take that. So anyway, hey, I am glad that you're here. Are you glad to be here today? Okay, okay. Good, good. Because I'm going to tell you, uh, this is going to be a series that we're going to have a little bit of a chance to really kind of jump in to grab a hold of some things and have some pretty direct conversation. And I'm just going to be upfront with you that I was one of those athletes that best responded to a coach, not who just generally kind of laid out some ideas or threw a ball out on the field, but one that when, when it was necessary would grab you by the face mask and put his eyes directly in front of yours so that you would know not only how to, how to perform, but that he was equally in it with you. Okay. So let's have that moment this morning, okay? So here's my question for you. This is where we want to start today, okay? What does it take to build a winning culture? What does it take to build a winning culture? Does it take great talent? Maybe. Take a celebrity coach? Maybe. Does it take new facilities or renovated facilities or state-of-the-art workout equipment? What's it take to build a winning culture? You know, winning culture is never really guaranteed. You can recruit the best athletes. You can uh, put a, a killer offensive scheme together and a killer defensive scheme. You can uh, memorize plays, but it doesn't guarantee a winning culture. Players get injured. Coaches get fired. And sometimes, frankly, life happens. So what really is the big difference in a winning culture? When good athletes and good leadership come together around a goal, one goal, great things can happen. But you'll see at different times the difference between good intentions and being all in, right? I mean, you can have good intentions and you can show up for every practice. You can memorize your playbook. You can even know it to the point that you can, uh, can recite it, explain it, draw it, whatever, with your eyes closed. You, you can have the right uniform, even the right kicks. You can make sure that you've got everything about you. But your attitude about the sport or attitude about the team is just, eh, it's fun. It's something to do. I like my friends. And sometimes you win but the truth of the matter is, it, you could win a lot more. Have you ever played on one of those teams? It was your final year, you wanted to make a difference, and everybody else was just happy to be out there, and you really wanted to do something? But if you're all in on your squad, yeah, you show, to show up to practice like you're supposed to. You memorize your playbook, you could do it with your eyes closed. You've got uh, the right uniform, even the right kicks. But you're often the first one on the field and the last one off. You're the one to gather your friends and say, hey, we need to work on this so we don't, we don't make this mistake again in the game. You begin to, to look at film. You talk to your coaches. You begin to do whatever it takes so that you have the highest possibility of success. Everything from being in shape to being prepared to working on your teammates so that together you can accomplish more. But what about the local church? I mean, should we have that kind of attitude with the local church? And isn't that a little bit extreme? Well, I don't think so. And to be honest with you, I feel like as a church, maybe that's what we need right now is an, an all-in conversation where your, your coach may grab you by the face mask and I may just say some things that I don't mean to hurt anybody, 
but we believe everybody spends eternity somewhere, okay? This is not just something we do to gather to make us feel better or to help us be nicer people, okay? We believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the difference of what it makes in our world. And so because of that, it is crucial that we understand now, when we're talking about the Jesus mission of making disciples, or as we would say it on our wall, helping people surrender to Jesus and become more like him, that we really need to be all in. Or we would say it this way. We are all in for the mission of Jesus. When we are all in for the mission of Jesus, we will do whatever it takes. Or in other words, ways to say it is, to be all in, you gotta be all in, right? It can't be partially, it can't be just good intentions. It, you need to be all in. So let me ask you another question. Why are you here today? Why are you here today? It seems like an odd question, doesn't it? But why are you here today? Some of you are here because mom said you had to get up and go. Others of you are here maybe because uh, if you go with mom, you get to go out to a great lunch afterwards. Uh, some of you are here because you like it here. You have friends here. Some of you are here because uh, this is your church family. There's a lot of reasons to be here. But I think today we need to press into our intentions and say, why are we here? What's our purpose? Maybe, uh, maybe as you think about this, you begin to realize that in all of us, even as we look at the early church, there are patterns and principles that play out. But it seemed like there was a group of people that wanted to surrender them li their lives and become something else. They wanted to be transformed by their relationship with Jesus. And so I think there are two reasons that people come to church today. And the first one is this, for God to change them. I think every one of us in this room would admit we don't have all the answers. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. So we come to a gathering like this because we're expecting that if there is an answer to this world, if there is a hope that we can be a part of, it begins and it ends in the person of Jesus. And so we come for God to change us. But the second reason is for this, for God to use us, to use them to change the world. That's why people come to church. Because we know not only does our individual lives need to be changed, but we know the world around us needs transformed. And so if God can change us, then God can change our world. So we come with an expectation and an intention to be transformed, to surrender our lives before God and to live different. If we were to summarize it, we would say it this way. People gather as they are intending to become who God has called them to be. People gather as they are, intending to become who God has called them to be. Meaning we know we come with our warts, we come with our struggles, we come with our sin, we come with our failures. But as we come, we know that the sacrifice, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is what gives us the forgiveness of sins, is what reconciles all of creation and relationships, is what sustains us for everlasting life. We know that outside of the, outside of the, the gift of Jesus Christ, we would have no hope. And so we come to live a different life, to make a difference in our world, knowing that ultimately our life is about giving it back to God. Deep down inside, what makes the difference in a winning culture is whether we just have good intentions or whether we're all in. So what does that look like for the local church? And how does that happen in real time, in real lives? Well, uh, the beautiful thing is, uh, scripture has it written down. You can see examples of how the early church flourished. 
So let me encourage you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you don't have your Bibles with you today, it will be on the screen. But here's what's happened. Jesus, who being God, uh, came into this world, lived a blameless life. He has just been crucified. He has died and he has been buried. He raises again and he begins to appear to his disciples and some of his apostles. He gathers with them. He actually says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me and begins to challenge them to create this movement of life changers, disciples who make disciples, students who are making other students, people who are allowing God to transform them and then transform the world around them. And in Acts chapter one, there begins this discussion on how Jesus is telling them that they will now be the catalytic movement that will transform the world. And then he leaves. Literally, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Now, these group of disciples and apostles, they gather together in an upper room and they're praying. They're, they're kind of wrestling with what, God, what Jesus really said to them and how this is going to impact the world for God. And literally in this moment, the breath of God, or as scripture would say, the Holy Spirit, breathes on them and moves them out to a balcony in like this kind of, we'll call it kind of an apartment complex over a marketplace, an open area of where business and transactions are happening. It's a large crowd here. And each one begins to speak and share this message of Jesus Christ and how his death, his burial, his resurrection is the payment for sin for all of humanity. That what used to seem as only a Jewish movement is intended to be a global movement and that all of humanity is intended to have a relationship with God. And that was the purpose of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then what happens is they lay this calling out to this crowd and people respond. It says they're, basically their hearts are pierced. And many of them, literally thousands of them, step forward in an, in an act of surrender to be baptized, to be buried in the water, which is when we describe that, we talk about identifying with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening is they're identifying that their lives are no longer their own and that it is that sacrifice that now gives life to everyone. And here's what it says. Here's how it begins to describe this culture. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who is in need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That sounds like a church I'd like to be a part of. I'll just be honest. I mean, I would love to be a part of a church that instead of opening up Facebook and seeing the emotional landmines and grenades that we toss at each other over politics or sports or whatever, what if every now and then we posted something like, hey, Joe from work came to faith today and we actually baptized him over break, you know, or hey, we stuck around after football practice today because three of my friends decided to accept Christ. And so we went to the, the whirlpool and we baptized three of my friends. And because this is what was happening in the early church. Before there was Facebook, there was this viral phenomenon where the truth of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ had pierced a community and people were coming to faith every day. Not just on Easter, not just on Christmas, every day. 
And here's what stands out when I read that passage. I want to look at this passage from a 30,000-foot level, but I want you to pull back a little bit. I want you to notice a couple things. Do you know what I notice when we talk about this community? is the plurality of people and the lack of individual names. There's not a me, not an I, not a he, not a she. It's a they, their, apostles, they, the people. It's groups of people. That collectively there was this movement that they were together in one accord around what it means to live after Jesus. And I think that as a community and as a culture, I think we want that today too. To be a part of something larger than ourselves, something more significant than just our life, something more than just our lifetime. We want to see something that begins to permeate all of life, culture, generations, whatever it can touch, it needs to change the world. And so I think there's this main point that we all need to embrace. And I believe that people intend to become more than they are. I think if you came today, one of the things that you're hoping is that maybe you can break an addiction or maybe you can change a habit or maybe you can fix a marriage or maybe you can figure out how to trust God more or maybe you're figuring out a next step of faith of how to be. I think we all come with a sense of we want to be changed, but even more so, we want to be changed so that our world can be changed. Here's what I think is interesting is there are some lessons that come out of the early church and I want to pull them out for a second and I want you to, want you to look at them with me if you would. First and foremost, here's one of the lessons that I think we learned from the early church and it's that they were committed to gathering. They were committed to gathering. Now that, that may seem pretty obvious, right? Okay, so what's that mean? Well, this word devoted, we would use synonymously with the idea of being committed. But one commentator says the word this way. He says, it's best described as persisting obstinately in. Persisting obstinately in. Now we know what it means to persist, right? To just continue after, right? To chase at it, chase after, chase after, chase after. And we know what obstinate is because we've seen a two-year-old, right? We know it's to root ourselves in, to not give up and to be in, to be devoted. So, so what you begin to see is a group of people who are chasing after something that is immovable in their life. Nothing else is going to take its place. This is one of the most important things that are going to be a part of our life, and it will define us, that we gather, that we come together as a people. And I think it reminds us of this truth, right? That what we commit to is what we value, right? What we commit to is what we value. Or let me show it to you this way. If I was to show you my schedule, you would see what I value. If I were to open my bank statement, you would see what I value. If you were to look at the people I hang out with, you would see who I value. If you were to live in my home, you would see what I value. If you were to spend time talking with me, you will hear what I value. Are you tracking what I'm saying? What we commit to is what we value. So what are you committed to in your life? I think there are four priorities that were in the early church and they're just listed out in that passage. The first is this, of so the four priorities, was the apostles' teaching. Now, nowhere in scripture is there a, a list of what the apostles' teaching is, but based on church history, based on how many of the, the New Testament letters play out, it appears that the predominant portion of teaching was about what Jesus taught, 
The power of the gospel, meaning the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it changes our life, and then what it means to live differently in the world that we're a part of. Now, we all know or may know that Jesus, his understanding was founded from the Old Testament. But what they describe in the early church is that the paradigm of just what they saw in the Old Testament was simply foundational and who Jesus was and who we're called to be is the fulfillment of that. And so an early church made it a priority to talk about the person of Jesus, his death, his burial, and resurrection, and how it changes our lives. Second of all, they were committed to, to the fellowship. And the fellowship is just a fancy way of saying they valued relationships brought together around God. They were in it together, though. Third value was this, the breaking of bread. And this doesn't mean just stopping having a meal together. Literally, one of the customs of the early church was this. When people got together in their homes, they would have a meal, but in the midst of the meal, they would pause or they would transition and they would take the bread and they would take the juice and they would say, hey, part of the reason we're together, part of the reason we are who we are is because of what God has done on our behalf. He broke his body. He shed his blood. And together, we share this meal together because our identity is built around what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is doing in our lives. The fourth priority was this, was prayer. It was prayer. One commentator says it's probably best said as prayers, I mean, two, more than one, right? That there were praying people, not just a guy on a stage with a microphone, but they were people of prayer. They gathered to pray. They found multiple times to have that in their life, and that's what the early church was about those four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And you know what I love about those four things? We do that every time we get together. You notice that? We come together and some of you walk into this room and you see friends that you know that because of your experience in growing in your faith or going to church camp or whatever it may be, there are some identity and bonds that you all have together. Some of you are, are in this room, uh, you, you come because you want to submit yourself to scripture. We, we want to study scripture. We want to understand how it applies and uh, affects our lives. We gather together where we pause at these tables where we eat the bread and we drink the juice and we're reminded of God's broken body and shed blood and we come because we pray. We pray with others. But one thing we know about our priorities are this. Our priorities fuel our passions, don't they? The things that we make priority in our life, they fuel our passions. So some of us in this room, are, they're passionate, we're passionate about our health. So we make sure every day we work out, we wouldn't miss a workout. Some of us are passionate about our business or our work, so we, we get training or mentoring so that we can take the business or ourselves to the next level. But if our intentions are to become more than we are, to become the people of God that God has created us to be, then one priority must be the priority, and that is our relationship with God and his local church. The second thing that we learned from the other church is that they gathered because of God. Now, this may seem ridiculous to some of you. Well, of course we gather for God. No, no, no. Hear me out on this. The early church came together because of what God had done in their lives, to celebrate, to honor the very character of God. 
And we do so when we get together. Many of us, we find ourselves strengthened and, and even transformed individually. Oftentimes, we, uh, we may even talk about how church impacts us or what we gain. But it's also about what we're to give back towards God. The early apostles were an example, a great example of this life of surrender. And the result was a movement that jumped into the world and transformed lives around it. But it started with a life of surrender and sacrifice. So why do we gather? Is it for what we gain or what we give? We all get something from time to time from our church, but what's our real motive? Let me share this with you today. The church was not created to see what I might gain for myself, but how I might give of myself. And this is maybe where it's going to get a little intense. It's going to get a little bit awkward. You know, sometimes I think about the local church that we're a part of and the churches of our world, and sometimes we would admit that oftentimes the reason we're a part of a church is because of us what we like, how we feel. Let me say it to you this way. I think there are two dangers that are impacting the American church more than anything else right now. And here's the first one. It's called church shopping. You know what I'm talking about? We want to find a church, and we all should find a church where we connect with, we identify with, where we feel like we belong, where we feel like we can be on the mission. But if we're honest... Sometimes our discussions about church go like this. Well, this church, they're too friendly. And this church isn't friendly enough. But this church is just right. Do you know where I'm going? Or this band is really dynamic. And this band is too reserved. But this band is just right. Or this preacher is awesome, but this preacher is too academic. And this preacher, you following what I'm saying? Sometimes our pursuit of a church looks more like a Google review than a surrendering before God. And here's what I want you to know. There was one personality that the church was founded on, and it was Jesus. It was Jesus. It was his death, it was his burial, it was his sacrifice, and the room came together because they sought Jesus above themselves. You know what the other thing is not listed in the priorities of the early church? Can I just say this in a quick shot off to the side? Music. Now, it wasn't that music wasn't a part of the early church. It was deeply entrenched into its character. But it wasn't something to fight over. It was an expression. It was a median. It was a reflection of the culture back to God. I'll save that for another discussion another time. The second danger is this. If church shopping is dangerous, so is church hopping. I'll describe it to you this way. Sometimes I talk with people on how they kind of approach, how they put their faith together, and it's kind of a patchwork quilt. But I would describe it this way, that there are, sometimes it's like when we sit down in our households and we say, what does everybody want for dinner tonight? You know, and Bobby says, well, I feel like Italian. Maybe tonight's, uh, uh, you know, Olive Garden. And Susie says, you know what? I'm not really in Italian. I'd really like to have something more American, maybe a burger or a chicken sandwich. And, you know, Johnny over here says, well, can we, can we do something that does a variety like, like chilies? Because you can get a little bit of this. You can get a little bit of that. And, and, and you know what? Here's, here's what I love. I shared this in first service. 
I've heard of families that literally take everybody's order and then split up and drive around town and bring the food back home and sit down and eat. Now, in first service, people were like, and some of them were like, (laughs) right? But if we're honest, the American church is very good at getting their worship here, their group here, their service over there, and oftentimes it's built off of what we prefer. The early church came together and said, it's because of Jesus that I'm here. And as we grow and as we chase this mission, God will transform me and God will transform us and together we will continue to be all in for his mission and we will work together to see that play out. Friends, we live in a dangerous time as Americans. We have so much freedom that we have become our own worst enemy in the growth of our own discipleship. The church was founded on Jesus, the one who gave of himself, sacrificed of himself, even surrendered his will for our benefit. How could we expect anything else of ourselves? We have to have a different perspective. The church is more about the we than it is about the me. We need to move from attending church to engaging as the church. We need to take less emphasis about how many people are in the seats and how many people are mobilized to the streets to be the salt of the earth, the light in the darkness. But the third truth is this, or the third lesson is this. They gathered consistently. It wasn't just something that they held as a value or patterned into their life. We're talking about a discipline. It was intentionally happening in their life. A discipline. Maybe I'd say it this way. If you were to work out once every 10 days, would you have the health that you wanted? If you were to tell your spouse you love them once a month, would you have the intimacy that you wanted? If you showed up for work one time out of every time you were scheduled, would it provide the lifestyle that you wanted to live? If you went to a game or two every sports season for your children, would they feel like you supported them? Here's what I know to be true. It's that our spiritual growth is directly proportional to our consistency. Our spiritual growth is proportional to the to our consistency. Oftentimes I'll talk with people who are struggling with their faith. I don't hear from God. I've got so many questions. I don't know what to do. And they're they're looking for answers. But oftentimes when I ask them questions about their journey or their struggle, two things come to light. One, they're not actively engaged in a body of faith. They're not actively involved and engaged in a local church. And two, they don't have any sort of daily or regular time in God's word or prayer. And how would you hear God? How would you know God if you don't consistently gather with his people or open his word or speak to him on a regular basis? And I don't mean that meanly, but if we're transparent, I think some of us, because our faith is built on grace, we spend our time going, God's got it covered. God's got it covered. And I want you to know God does have it covered, but he covered it hoping that we would know him intimately, 
that we would pour out our lives before him, that he would engage in every relationship and circumstance of our lives. And as a people, we would be a tidal wave of grace into a community that would echo off the walls of shouts and praise and credit that this is God moving in our world, not us. Something happens to the local church when it's all in. When people set down their preferences and step away from personalities and pour out themselves, fully surrendered back to God, prioritizing the local church and being actively engaged as a body of faith. And it begins to change lives. I want to share a video with you real quick of Roland Nightingale. Roland is one of our student ministry associates. And this is his all-in story about how the church has impacted him and how he hopes to impact the local church. Watch this. My name is Roland Nightingale, and this is my all-in story. I actually grew up in the church because my family was homeless, and I was homeless until sixth grade, so we moved around a lot, and we're in shelters and churches. So the church was just a safe place for me growing up. I actually got to sit in on breakfast with uh, the older men in the church that would let me and my brother come and hang out with them. And it uh, just meant a lot to us because we were safe there. And they just, they loved on us regardless of who we were. And people would pay for us to go to camp. We didn't know who they were or where the money was coming from, but we just knew that we got to go to camp for a week and have an awesome week. It just made a, a huge difference in our lives, so. I moved around and, and went to different churches, different denominations, ended up at a Pentecostal church for four years. Emotionally, it was what I needed at the time because uh, outwardly, I didn't know how to express my love for Christ, but seeing people in the church express their love for Christ encouraged me to do that for myself. So there was a guy there by the name of Steve McClure uh, who I really looked up to, and a couple years later, I was deaning a week of camp, and he, he took me out on the last day, grabbed me by my shoulders, looked me in the face, and he said, Roland, the, the church is going through a lot right now, and they, they really need a leader like you. It's like, I don't want you to get a big head about this, but the church really needs someone like you. And that meant a lot to me. There's a guy in my previous church in his 70s, and we're trying to get people engaged in the church and, and be active, and went up to him one day and said, hey, would you mind serving with the youth program? And he said to me, I'm retired from ministry. And that blew me away because you don't ever retire from ministry. You don't ever retire from being a Christian. You don't ever retire from service. And on the other hand, there's this guy, Ken Smith, who I really looked up to, who, who was in his 70s also, and he never stopped doing ministry. He always served. He was always excited. He was always looking for opportunities. He always had ideas, ways to be involved and engaged. And I was actually doing ministry with uh, urban youth. And he stepped up and said, hey, can I make food for these kids before you do youth group? And that was just huge to me. That blew me away that someone in, in his 70s was still going strong and excited and passionate about being part of the church. For me, it all comes down to obedience. Uh, I really and passionate and believe in being a living sacrifice because I know what God can do if you are obedient and selfless. He will open the floodgates and bless you and bless the ministry, bless the church, the community that you're involved in if you are obedient. Last night, I had my nephew staying with me and I, he's 16. I invited him to youth group and on the way home, he actually was talking to me. He's like, so 
like, the church is awesome, Uncle Roland. How did you end up at this church? And I smiled and said, this was, this was all God. Ever since we've been here, we have just been super excited because we see volunteers. We, we see people serving. We see people excited. And I'm just, I'm passionate about being at a church where people are all in, want to make a difference in the community for God, want to make a difference in, in people's lives on a daily basis. And I'm excited about the opportunities that we have here at FIRST. Nightingale, and this is my all-in story. We are really blessed to have the uh, student and, and uh, kids ministry staff that we do. And if you've not had a chance to get to know them a little bit, you should. They're just great servants. They do a great job. But something amazing happens when a church is all in, is fully committed, fully connected. And uh, we've got a time for our church to step up and, and do a little more uh, because we've got some things that are going on right now that we want to encourage you to be a part of. I, I don't know if you know much about what's happening uh, between our locations, but Champaign and Urbana are doing very, very well. Now, we have a lot more space than they, they do because, and so we can expand and use our facility a little bit differently, but we have a, we have a location in Urbana at Lincoln Square Mall that needs to expand. Maybe go to multiple services, maybe go to multiple services, maybe expand, maybe get office space, and maybe do all three. But we're just not sure if we've got the resources to do that. One of the reasons you see these all in t-shirts is because we want to use them as a, a tool and a tactic to help fuel our church above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings. Meaning we've got ministry that's happening on a regular basis that we need to be fueling and expanding, but we need to go above and beyond and we need to put ourselves out there to say, God, can we help with this process? So we're asking uh, for every church t-shirt that we sell, we're asking for a $10 donation. Now $5 goes to um, just the cost of the shirt, but the other five goes into a, a direction for us to be able to start adding some funds towards Urbana so that they can expand. And guys, I'll just tell you this. Our prayer in stepping out into a new direction was that we would launch a location that would average 250, hopefully, sometime in its first year. Through this summer, the lowest time of its attendance, it's been averaging right around 250. And so we're at a ceiling point. If they don't get multiple services or they don't get some sort of expansion or we don't find a way to open up, we could really miss out on what God's trying to do in, in that location. And friends, I'll be honest. I think this location has the potential to be somewhere between three and 500 pretty well overnight. And it would, be, it would be shameful of us not to be moved in some way to not step out and help them and help us continue to make God famous and to help meet the needs of the world that we're a part of. And so when you go today, if you go and buy a t-shirt, there are two things that we're trying to make happen. One, we want this to be a declaration that we're all in with this church. We want to be a part of this local church. We want to help serve in a way that we can to help advance the mission of Jesus. And second of all, that we want to help support what's going on in Urbana. And people have been giving more than $10 per t-shirt, and you're welcome to do that. But it will be something that we'll set aside that we can begin to plan and prepare for expansion because of what God has done here. And my hope is... Whether you get done, uh, you'll wear this every Sunday that you're here and we'll help have momentum together. But then as we go to Dos Reales or El Toro, we'll begin to take over. Or whether you go to Chili's or Applebee's, we'll begin to show up. Or whether you go to the Tem Tumble Inn or Esquire, whatever, you know, you just wear your shirt, man. Let the world know that you are all in for what God is doing in your life. And may we be a presence in our community. You hear what I'm saying? 
So after service, you're gonna have a chance to get a t-shirt and to be a part of that. Let's move to our time of response. You know, today has been kind of a, a direct conversation and maybe you're a guest with us today. Maybe it's the first time you've come to church or maybe it's your first time back to church in a while. And I, I wanna let you know that what we're about to do in this moment is different than what we did on our first portion of our worship experience. Usually when you come in, we stand, we sing, and we do the opening intro with some announcements, some ways to connect, a way to serve, and then we jump into our message. But as we come out of our service, what we do is we're gonna sing some songs and then people are gonna respond. And we want to prioritize opportunities for prayer. So we actually put these benches up front and there will be people that will come up and literally bend their knees and pray. Some saying thank you to God and others asking for God to change them, transform them. Many families or friends will go to these tables. And for those of us that have a relationship with Christ, we eat the bread and we drink the juice because we're reminded that's the foundation by which we are who we are. And then you'll see friends that'll uh, take their connection card and they'll go to a, a response box or a give box and they'll they'll put down a decision that they feel like today they need to make, whether it's a, a decision towards baptism or getting connected in a group or finding a role to serve, or maybe it's sitting down and have a conversation about faith that they've been putting off for some time. And then you'll see some people even open their phones and, and they'll respond through our Give app on giving back to God, not because God has to have your money or we want your money, but because we realize that all that we have and all that we are is from God. And so we give back for his credit and his glory, his mission, and his purpose. The instructions are on the, on the program that you got on as you walked in. But here's what we need to do this morning, just very, very simply. I think we all long to be a part of a church where we're all in, right? We want to be a part of a church where when things begin to move and things begin to change, we look back and say, yeah, I was a part of that, but it was really God working in our midst. We thought it was going to be this, but it ultimately meant that. We stepped out here and it took us all the way to there. And so the question becomes, what does it take for our church to become a church like that? And of course, you probably can't answer that without first and foremost asking, what does it take for me to become a person like that? For some of us, it will be as, as direct as a step of faith. I, I, I've never surrendered my life to Christ through baptism. I need to. Some of us are saying, I've never even accepted Jesus Christ and I've, I've pushed it off and I, I, I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to step out. I'm willing to start taking steps of faith. What we wanna challenge you with in this series on a very pragmatic level is, I think one of the ways that we have to change if we're gonna commit, if we're gonna devote ourselves to be a part of the local church, we need to commit to gathering. Now, as they say, it takes 21 days to change a habit. But I think it takes a month to get a rhythm for being a part of church. I want to encourage you to connect four, if I can. The next three weeks, next four weeks, be a part of what God is doing in our church. For some of you, that's going to be like, oh, oh, okay, I gotta, I, I've, got, I've got brunch with my, my family. I need to figure out next week. what. I, yeah, some of you may need to take this time and pull your calendar out and say, what weeks do you already have in a conflict? Some of you may say, well, I, I only come when I have my kids. And maybe, maybe today's the week to say, I come because I'm committed, not just when I have my kids. For some of us, we may say, ah, I'm supposed to play golf on Sunday mornings. I got a really good, great group of friends and we have a great time together. And some of us may have to 
get up earlier for a tea time, play more towards the heat of the day, or God forgive me for saying this publicly, skip a day of golf, right? Our priorities fuel our passions. What we're committed to shows our values. And our spiritual growth is directly proportional to our consistency. What if today we declared that we will be here, come rain or shine, come odd schedule or not, for the next four weeks to be all in, fully surrendered, to be prepared for what God's going to do on our fall kickoff and how God's going to change our world this year. Let's stand and sing and respond when God leads us.